Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me? A woman of Samaria. Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must call worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something to eat, get, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. 
One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. Our Gospel readings for this entire Lenten season this year are from the Gospel of John each Sunday. John who, because this is um, pretty much John's M.O., will each week, first of all, tell us a story that is only in John's Gospel, and second of all, he will tell us a story, as you just heard, that is long. John, uh, it turns out, likes to tell stories in detail. And a pretty safe assumption is that every detail John mentions means something. I pretty much, when I read John, never think that anything he says is just some filler. Our Gospel reading for today from John 4 takes place in Samaria, where dwelt Samaritans. Samaria had been part of the nation of Israel back in the day when Saul and then David and Solomon were their kings. But then they had split off into their own nation with their own kings, and then they were conquered by the Assyrians and their kings, and then they were scattered, some staying here and some shipped off to there, and their Jewish religious roots started intermingling with Assyrian religion, and their men and women started intermingling with Assyrians as well, the result being that religious Jews religiously avoided Samaritans at all costs, for they regarded them as genetically, racially, morally, spiritually, and religiously inferior half-breeds who had a genetic and racial and moral and spiritual and religious inferiority that was actually contagious. And so, I mean, seriously, if you touched a Samaritan, for example, or touched something that a Samaritan had just touched, like a cup of water, for example, you actually had to go through a process of cleaning up from that Samaritan yuck before, for example, you could go to church where you knew for a fact that the God you worshipped wanted nothing to do with the likes of Samaritans. Question probably worth asking at this point is, 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 is if there are any particular people or any particular types of people or any particular groups of people whom you're pretty sure the God you worship wants nothing to do with the likes of. People of a particular race? Not me. I'm not that guy. People of a particular position on a particular issue socially? Well, no, of course, that might depend. What's the issue? People who passionately and sometimes smugly, superiorly say that they are 
or people who passionately and sometimes mockingly, sneeringly make sure you know darn well that they aren't? One of those woke people? People who have too much education and therefore are out of touch and clueless when it comes to the real world. People who don't have enough education and who therefore are ignorant and clueless when it comes to, example, for example, uh, voting correctly or having worthwhile opinions about real issues in the world. Jesus, John says in a detail at the beginning of our reading, on a journey from Jerusalem back to Galilee, went through Samaria because, says John, quote, he had to, unquote. Let's be clear about this detail in John's telling. The had to here, as in Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee, um, was not a geographical imperative. For the fact is that religious Jews didn't, would not ever, go through Samaria on their way from Jerusalem to Galilee. They went around Samaria. So Jesus having to go through Samaria was not a geographical imperative. It was, I think clearly, a mission imperative. He was about to make it clear that there's nobody on the other side of anybody's border walls or borders or walls or silos or culture wars whom the God he knew and loved wants nothing to do with the likes of. In Samaria, just outside a city where Jesus has sent his disciples to get some takeout for lunch, he remains near a well there on the outskirts of town. A well, mentions John, which had actually been dug years and years and years and years ago by Jacob, who was later named Israel, and who was Abraham's grandson, and who gave this particular area of land to his son Joseph, whose sarcophagus, 350 years later, the children of Israel had carried with them when they left bondage in Egypt for freedom to the promised land so that Joseph, per Joseph's wishes, could be buried here in the land of his ancestors. The importance of this detail, I think maybe it's John's reminder that these people whom the Jews considered absolutely other than them, traced their history back to the same people as them. Which is to say that however it was that Jews and Samaritans became us and them, us and them is not what they were or what they were meant for when they were given their freedom. I see a lot of things these days, of course, ugly things that leave me thinking, surely, surely this is not what we were meant for when we were given the freedom we've been given. Back now at Jacob's well, we now with Jesus meet a woman, a Samaritan woman who at lunchtime, about noon, says John, comes to draw water from the well. Noon. A detail which once again has meaning in John's telling, noon being a time of day when other people didn't go out to draw water from the well because it was the heat of the day, for goodness sakes. So others came earlier or later in the comparative cool of morning 
or evening, but not her. She comes in the heat of the day. Because why? Because she doesn't want to be there when others are, are there. She has heard their whispers, and the whispers are about her, and the whispers are not kind. But coming this day at noon to Jacob's well in what is now Samaria and not Israel or Judea, she discovers that she's not alone for a man is there. And this surprises her, for he is a Jew. She can tell. And she absolutely knows what I just told you. Jews did not make a habit of coming here. What's more, then he talked to her asked her for a drink of water, which is another thing a Jew would not do with a Samaritan. First of all, because of that whole Samaritan yuck thing, if she gave him water and he touched the same vessel that it was in, but also because observant Jews wouldn't make conversation with Samaritans. The only words Samaritans ever could probably count on hearing from observant Jews were racial slurs. Plus, that this is a first century Jewish man talking to a first century Samaritan woman moves this surprising scene beyond surprising all the way to shocking and verging on scandalous. For a religious Jewish man wouldn't even speak to a first century Jewish woman publicly. He just did not do that. Except Jesus does that. Because of course his M.O. as she would soon discover was grace. And grace, when it's the real thing, is ever doing what others would never do, including often especially doing what others who are very religious would never do. Jesus was, of course, by the very religious, often criticized for that. Because, I mean, after all, talk about a slippery slope. With an attitude like his, who knows, maybe the next time you'd see him, he'd be at a drag show or something. She questions him about that, about the impropriety of him being here in her place and him talking to her, not with racial slurs, but as though she was an actual person. He replies that if she knew to whom she was speaking, she would ask him for water and he'd never be thirsty again. Her reply is actually, I think, I, I, I think it's a little maybe cheeky paraphrased as if you don't even have a bucket I like her already Jesus of course it turns out loves her already the water you give me he said is for life for a day but the water I can give you is for life for forever she doesn't understand she misunderstands but she wants in Give me this water of yours, she says, so I can quit coming to this well in either the heat of the day or in the gossip circles of others. He says, go get your husband and come back. She pauses just a, just a beat then, I imagine, because just right there, she in this moment is suddenly vulnerable. But after that pause, vulnerably, she replies, I don't have a husband. He says, that's true. In fact, you've had five husbands and you're living now with a man who isn't your husband. She does not know how he knows. She suspects that a prophet is standing before her. She acknowledges that what he says is the truth, but she can't not notice that it's spoken without judgment. 
She is used to being judged by her neighbors who whisper about her and by readers of the Bible ever since who've routinely made the absolutely unfounded and judgmental assumption that she has unfaithfully, probably adulterously, left five men now to be living in sin with a sixth. That is exactly not that case. In that time and place, a woman did not have the legal right to initiate a divorce. A man could only be the one who initiated a divorce, and a man could do that for almost any reason, including underboiling the bagels. But the most common reason for a divorce was a woman's inability to have children. This, in other words, and to be clear, is not a woman who has five times filed for divorce. She is a woman who five times scorned has been filed upon. Her neighbors, of course, knew this. This is why the judgmental whispers they whispered had a different content than the judgmental whispers that uh, Bible readers have whispered about her. The content of their whispers likely being something like this. There she is. Bless her heart. She can't please any man. Now she's living with a sixth, perhaps for love, but more likely for survival. In those days, virtually having no legal rights or protections for women, a woman without a man and without children and without a government safety net was life-threateningly vulnerable. As this scene is now preceded, however, she has shifted from her initial, and I do think kind of uh, endearing cheekiness, to vulnerability in the presence of Jesus. Gradually, in conversation with him, she lets her walls down, then to discover that in the presence of Jesus, hers were the only walls that had ever been there. And she begins to realize, she doesn't have a word for it yet, but it's beginning to seep through and to soften even the self-protecting walls which having been wounded so often she had put up to guard her heart as she now begins to realize even without yet being able to name it that the living water he is alive with is the water of now and forever grace and that grace is the grace of the God of Jews and Samaritans and all people and her At which moment the disciples arrived back with, with the Casey's pizzas they'd found in town. They were all veggie pizzas. Several of them had been drooling at the thought of a meat lover's, but that wasn't kosher. Which was the same reason Andrew couldn't order the Casey's taco pizza he'd heard about and wanted to try sometimes. Although Thomas, of course, had said taco pizza. I doubt that can be any good. And when they got back now, pizza boxes in hand, they, just like her, are surprised that Jesus is talking to her. It's not, of course, the first time he's surprised them. Nor will it be the last, but eventually they will come to realize and to share with all that to this world walled with the walls that sin continues to build and bordered with the borders that sin continues to lock down and siloed with the silos that sin continues to bunker down in, in Christ comes grace, which is ever surprising to the world. And in its surprise, 
is found life. Life that is qualitatively different now. Life that is unto forever. And life that has in its cup the power to quench the thirst even of thirsty souls. Thirst quenched, this unnamed Samaritan woman goes back to town now not to avoid but to find her neighbors and to reach out to them and to become, according to John, in a way as near as I can tell, the very first ever lay evangelist. The very first person ever who wasn't clergy and wasn't one of the disciples and who went out of her way by her own initiative to tell others about Jesus and how he had changed her life. She wasn't preachy or overbearing about it. She didn't have pamphlets that she stuck in their doors. She just shared her Jesus story with her neighbors and then invited them to come meet him too. Come and see this man who told me everything I've ever done, she said. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And at her invitation, they came to the well outside of town where he welcomed and spoke to them even though they were Samaritans. And then he went back to town with them even though their town was Samaritan. And they drank of the water not of Jacob's well which they drunk from their whole lives but rather the water of the words of Jesus. Then and there to discover two things. First of all, that there was a thirst, a thirst in their souls. They'd always, their whole lives been thirsty with, even though in some cases some of them hadn't even consciously been aware of that. And second of all, that in him, for the first time ever in their lives, that thirst of the soul was quenched. Amen.